0: Welcome to With Wayel, The Ultimate Show. Listen to the awesome and the legend, uh, Patricia Fripp. CSP, CPEE, and I believe she's also um, Hall of Fame and everything. Like, this particular... Well, I don't know what to call it other than being a legend, you know. She's all full of good... Uh, idea awesome information really practical and easy to use and really she's a person down to earth sharing all of her knowledge and all of her information and uh, it was a second opportunity on the second day to listen to an awesome 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 keynote in the opening session i uh, would encourage you to review the two sessions we had of the first day and the keynote was titled uh i don't know even what was the title i believe it was magnify your words i will uh, um, so under the magnifying glass good to great presentations with the awesome patricia freb
1: The email said, Dear Patricia, may I interview you for my blog? I don't know about you, but I am a very short-term project person involved in a long-term project creating my virtual training, doing my very best to eliminate distractions. I was about to send an email saying, I'd love to be interviewed. I'm very busy. Contact me in three months until I checked his
2: website.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now you know I am incredibly shocked. <laughs> I picked up the phone and said, what is an Emmy Award winning TV interviewer and game show host doing, being one of my fans? After a 30 minute interview, he said, Patricia, this is great. But come on, tell me, what is the number one secret of giving a powerful presentation? It's out these notes. And then it hit me. A brand new frippicism was about to fall flawlessly from my lips. <laughs> I said, although there is no one secret, if there were, yeah. it would be that your subject is of interest to your Speaking at CAPS, speaking at the National Speakers Association is cheating because we know you are interested in our subjects, you have inconvenienced yourself, you've paid your hard-earned cash and you're here. In real life, we are sent to train people to fix them and they might not really feel they need to learn what we're teaching we are on a convention program, and the attendees would be there whether we had filled that slot or not. So how do we look at ways we can make our subject of interest to our audience? Welcome to, under the magnifying glass, good to great presentations. So one, we have to look at how do we connect with them? Consider yourself an audience advocate. When you look at your content, look at it from the point of view of the people listening. (coughs) One great way to connect is to look at how can we open our presentations to grab their attention immediately and you have seen magnificent demonstrations of how to immediately engage the interest of the audience from all your speakers. And we all know our stories make a big impact. What are a couple ways we can make them even better? First, If you want to connect to your audience, you have to understand a very (coughs) simple principle. They are much more interested in themselves than they are in you. And one way you can prove that you are interested in them and that this message is designed just for them is to use you-focused language. And it doesn't matter how seasoned we are, Many great speakers make this mistake. I would challenge you to watch the I versus you balance in your presentation.
2: May we have sand?' for my uh, I you have to get something back. My challenge is the shortest seminar I usually do is 50 hours. <laughs> uh, I'm not exaggerating, I do weekends, and when I do, I do more than that, obviously coach people, but I'm into immersion. Because how would you learn language? You didn't learn it by just learning principles, you got in it and you did it so often that it became real. And the bottom line of the line here, besides being crazy mofo, is that I'm really in a position, I'm not here to motivate you obviously, you don't need that. And a lot of times that's what people think I do, and it's the furthest thing from it. Um, what happens though is, people say to me, why don't you need motivation? And I say, well that's interesting, that's not what I do. I'm the why guy. I don't know why you do what you do. What is your motive for action? What is it that drives you in your life today, not 10 years ago, or are you running the same pattern? Because I believe that the invisible force of internal drive activated is the most important thing in the world. I'm here because I believe emotion is the force of life. All of us here have great minds. You know, most of us here are great minds. Right? I don't know if I'm in the category, but we all know how to think. And with our minds, we can rationalize anything. We can make anything happen.
1: In all fairness, you could take anyone's one minute of the opening of their presentation and find ways to improve it. However, let us all realize that when you are comfortable in one format, 50 hours, if you are going to present in, thir- in 15 minutes or 13 minutes, or 18 minutes, which you have for a TED talk. You have to construct your presentation differently. And obviously, I am not Tony's speech coach. However, if I were, I might suggest, looking at that opening, that perhaps he would be well served to say, why do you do what you do? What is your motive for action? What drives you now, not 10 years ago? And based on 30 years of human development and personal peak performance, it becomes very clear. It all starts with emotion. Same content, no eyes. One of my good friends is a sales manager of the Fairmont Hotel. And he Mm -hmm. called and said, Fred, help! As you know, I'm a great salesperson one-on-one. However, I have to deliver a presentation to to a group of of people who are considering bringing their convention to San Francisco, and I'm really nervous. I asked him the questions we should all ask ourselves. Simply, who are you addressing? Convention committee. How long do you have to speak? Eight minutes. What are you selling? He said, well, I'm really not selling the Fairmont Hotel because if they come to San Francisco, they're definitely coming here. But they're seriously considering San Diego. Now, you never knock your competition, but what you have to do is position what you're offering to say more appealing. And then a question that I find many sales professionals overlook. I said, how much is it worth to the Fairmont Hotel if you get the business? He said, $500,000. I said, let me get this right. You have eight minutes to make $500,000. Do you realize that is $1,066? No, $1,041.66, even when you pause. How had you intended opening? He said, well, ladies and gentlemen, I really appreciate that you're here and that you're staying at the the hotel and we hope you have a wonderful experience. And I said, look, you're being polite, but you've wasted $20,000 and you haven't said... Why don't you say this? association and your members is to bring your convention to San Francisco and the Fairmont Hotel. That is seven you or yours to Fairmonts. That is a great you-focused, emotional connecting focus on the audience only. Then, San Diego is a magnificent destination and you should go there another year. (laughs) However, the reasons you should come to San Francisco this year are now give specifics, logical reasons, the words and the examples that this convention committee can go back to their association staff and tell to their members why we chose this location for this convention. And then imagine, you will experience 535 of our Fairmont Associates looking after your attendees. And then imagine years from now, when your attendees are sitting around a convention lobby reminiscing about the best conventions they ever attended, and they remember their favorite in San Francisco, when you were the planning committee. Obviously, he made the same. Look at the ways you can immediately open your presentation with impact and engage your audience. Many professionals, and of course most of my work is in the business world, they are absolutely fine once they get going and talk about what they're experts in. Very few know how to open and conclude well. So we tell them to come out punch Alright, did that too fast. back again? Can you help me? Welcome to You Have Choices, Options of Openings, the Techniques. As you soon will come to discover, our subtitle is How to Open Your Presentation with Impact. At the beginning of a speech, presentation, seminar, client meeting, report to senior management, sales presentation, or any manner of presentation you deliver, You need to arouse interest in the subject. After all, we stand in the rain to see a movie. Would you stand in the rain to listen to your presentation? Do you think they would? One of the past presidents of my local (laughs) chapter of the National Speakers Association Northern California, Gary Purice, used to be in the advertising business, and his job was to come up with the advertising campaigns to promote movies. In fact, can you believe when Spielberg finished Raiders of the Lost Ark, they had absolutely no idea who the market was? And he brought Don Garrett in to speak to our chapter. And he was the person who hired Gary for the different studios for the campaigns. And he told us, of all the millions and millions of dollars it takes to create a movie, half of the cost is the promotion and the marketing and advertising. But he said, it doesn't matter how many millions of dollars we invest, that doesn't make a movie a success. We spend all the money advertising and marketing so we have a good opening, so we can get our money back in case the movie isn't a success. But he said, what makes a movie a success, and I believe it probably what helps build your career, is five memorable moments. He said it's the five moments when you walk out of a movie house and you say to your friends, Oh, could you believe that happening? D- did you know that was going to happen? When did the little boy know that he was dead? Yeah. And then you go to work the next day and say, You have got to see this movie. I can't tell you the it, but you've got to see it. You start retelling the scenes, how you felt. And don't you think when you talk about Peter Legg telling the story about surprising his daughter in London, or saying goodbye to his father for the last time, or seeing Vince on that chair. Aren't these the moments that you're going to talk about? And I would challenge us all to look at our presentations and see where are the moments, and certainly the emotional connection when an audience says, "Wow." They're talking just to me. That will be a moment. Very often, with an opening, it'll make a difference. And there are so many techniques. Now, if you ask, if you start your presentation with a question, if you have ever heard yourself say something such as, have you ever lost a sale you deserve to make? Next time you deliver it, say, how often? Have you lost a say you deserve to make? Because if they once lived through a situation, had a problem, had a challenge, they lived through it. However, if it is a situation they frequently have, they are more likely to pay attention to what follows. An interesting statistic or little-known fact. Now, many speakers have amazing statistics and facts within their presentation, I'm going to challenge you to perhaps pull it out and put it at the open. For example, I was invited to speak to 450 Seventh-day Adventist pastors. And part of our being an audience advocate, we have to look at our presentation from the point of view, they don't know who we are, when they're reading the review and the title, what are they thinking? My subject was how to design and deliver a more charismatic sermon. And I realized that the most generous person would think, hmm, the only person on the program who isn't a minister. How can anyone who isn't a minister tell me how to write a better sermon? I write one every week. I bet she isn't a Seventh-day Adventist. (laughs) Which I'm not. If you can open with an interesting statistic from their industry or their world they don't know about, you might just get their attention. So I walked out and said, 465 times in the Bible, it said it came to pass. It did not say it came to stay. And unless your sermon is well constructed, artfully crafted, and charismatically delivered, it will not come to stay in the hearts, minds, and lives of your congregation.
2: (laughs) Bam! And if you have never heard
1: 450 Seventh-day Adventist pastors say, Amen, Hallelujah, to get you off to a good start, you have never lived. (laughs) Now, we all know stories and examples are a great way to open our presentation and next we will look at how to do it. Meanwhile, how about transporting to your audience to a different time and place? Vince did the most magnificent opening. I would match his opening to any opening with any presentation. Standing on a chair, you were there. He transported you to the past. If you want to transport your audience into the future, you can do that with the word, imagine, as I recommended my friend at the Fairmont did. Imagine, take them to a different time and place. Now remember, this side of the stage, your right, their left is the past, and your left, their right is the future. Because if you move in the wrong direction, they might not know the principle, but they know there is something wrong. And then we can look to Hollywood. workshops, not because I have the patience or the talents to be a screenwriter, but you have to admit, Hollywood knows how to emotionally connect and tell great stories. And I was speaking to the National Speakers Association Greater Los Angeles chapter in November of 2002, and I was saying that David Freeman, the screenwriting teacher, talks about the opening of a mover as the flavor scene and perhaps we need to look at the opening of our presentation as how do we set the flavor. There was a man in the fourth row, put his hand up and said, you're quoting my competitor, why aren't you quoting me? To which I said, well, who the heck are you? (laughs) (laughs) He was Michael Haig, and he is a screenwriting teacher, and he is the story consultant for Will Smith's production company. The next time I spoke to the Los Angeles chapter, greater Los Angeles chapter, was exactly 10 years later, 2012 November, and Michael Haig delivered it with me and it was, and the award goes to the best speaker, when you incorporate Hollywood principles into your presentation. And one of his techniques, which I recommend you look at your presentation very simply, it's get into the scene late. And so often we spend so much time setting up the situation, I challenge you to look at your stories, where is the scene, where is the action? You can always do the setup later, just grab them. The email said, do you need to know I was in my office, it was a Monday, I'd been there, I was on my sixth cup of coffee? No, no, no the stories about the email. So I challenge you to look at your presentations that way. Because remember, as, as Alfred Hitchcock said, a movie is like life with all the dull parts cut out. <laughs> and probably a lot of our setup is the dull parts, so just get to the action. Another way you might open your presentation is, being A is like. My next-door neighbor was the senior scientist at Genentec. He was working on developing an AIDS vaccine. And I said, Mike, I want you to come and speak to my women's professional group. Now, understand, we don't spend any time with scientists. And even if we did, we wouldn't know what they were talking about. So I want to hear about your work developing the AIDS vaccine. But you have to tell us, what is it like being a scientist? how about this for a note? He said, being a scientist is like doing a jigsaw puzzle in a snowstorm at night when you don't have all the pieces and you don't have the picture you're trying to create. Mm-hmm. I defy you to come up with a as good a phrase to explain what you do that is visual. And as Laurence Olivier said, the art is hiding the art. The audience might not know your principles or why you're doing it, they just know you have an impact. Robert McKee, another screenwriting teacher said, stories are the creative conversion of life itself." into a more powerful, clearer form, more meaningful experience. And we all know the power of stories, we all tell stories. Here are two techniques that might make them even better. Speak visually. We use words to communicate however our audience sees our stories. And that's how they can walk out and explain the fight moments to their friends because they saw your story. Was it the local chapter in Oklahoma City, National Speakers Association? Woman came up, I said, you know, like I'm doing this afternoon we did yesterday, you come up, deliver the opening, and we'll put it under the magnifying glass. Look at it, take your closer look. And she said, my dad walked into a diner, looked at the waitress, and said, that's my in 1946. Mm-hmm. I said, I bet this is a good story, and I hope it has a happy end, and you're the result. Unless he, she didn't talk to him, <laughs> your dad married someone else, but I don't think that's the story. I said, what you need to start with is when was it? In 1946, my dad walked into a diner. You do not have to have been born in 1946 to know that's the end of World War II. You don't have to have been born in America. You've seen enough movies. You've heard stories. You've read books. You even know what the diner looks like because of theme restaurants and movies. Now, I don't know about your story because we see our stories differently, but to me, her dad's in a uniform. He's a soldier. And I know he has experienced situations he will never talk about not to his future wife or children, not to his civilian friends. I have an emotional connection to people who serve our countries in any branch of the armed forces. So I'm rooting for this guy. And remember, all she has said is, in 1946, my dad walked into a diner. When we set it up the right way, people see the scenes. Because I bet, I bet he walked in alone, he sat at the counter, and I bet the waitress, and I know what she looked like. She was blonde, she had a little cap, she had a penny over her dress, she had thick room shoes, and I bet she said, would you like some pie and coffee, honey? <laughs> and he thought, that's my wife. So I challenge you to revisit your stories, When did it happen? Put it in context for the audience. Where was it? Help me visualize. Take me to the scene, and as Michael Hayes said, get into the scene, you don't need the setup. Where was it? Who is in it? And of course, what happened? And in the context of your speech, the result of that box. So follow the formula, when, where, who, what happened. Next principle, don't report on the dialogue, deliver the dialogue. If you say, I had a conversation with, with my boss and we were talking about, that's not delivering the dialogue, that's reporting on the dialogue. Pat Wynn called and said, Patricia, as you know, we are a $2 billion software company with aspirations of being $20 billion. We have just bought our major competitor, and so we are having a very important kickoff sales meeting. 1,500 salespeople at the Bellagio, and as 40% of them were acquired, they did not choose to work with us. This is a very important meeting. We want them to know they're at the right company at the right time and the strategy is set. The work you've done with our engineers and leaders has been fabulous. Now we want you to work with our president. He's not a bad speaker. He's an engineer. A little shy. Brilliant. But we don't have any corporate rock stars. We want you to write him a speech, turn him into a rock star, and you got four
2: hours.
1: (laughs) Now, Bernard was the most magnificent gentleman who, from the moment we worked together, when I said, how do you do? If you had one sentence rather than 45 minutes, what would you say? He said, this is a brand new company. I said, good, write that down. Welcome to a brand new company. Now, who, whose idea was to be a company? So we conversationally talked through the speech. And people can't say, it's five and a half
2: hours, Burnout still with Patricia. Because
1: he realized the impact he could have. And then it got to the point where we were talking about corporate citizenship. There'd been a tsunami and the salespeople had donated $360,000 and the company had matched it. And it was obvious, he was passionate about like this. He believed in corporate responsibility, in corporate citizenship, but his speech was getting boring. Now, certainly, if I had developed a relationship with him, I would be quite comfortable saying, it's getting boring. This was the first time and I was boosting his confidence. He didn't realize he could be a rock star. And so, what I asked was, Bernard, how do you explain corporate citizenship to your children? He said it was the day after Christmas, and I sat both of my children down and said, you are very lucky children. You have generous parents and you have even more generous grandparents. Perhaps you would like to give us one of your gift certificates or one of your presents, and we'll take the money and give to the children who no longer have homes." He said, i was so proud of my 14-year-old son. He came back the next day and he said, Papa, how much do I give? I could give you all of my savings, all of my pocket money, and all of my Christmas presents, and it still wouldn't be enough to make a difference. What do I give? And Bernard said, I told him, oh, you never give it all. You just give enough that it hurts a little. If you were to transcribe Bernard's story, you would see the quotation marks and it is nearly 100% diary. That's delivering the dialogue, not reporting on the dialogue. So as we look under the magnifying glass, you know if you want your subject to be of interest to your audience, speak as an audience advocate. Look at it from their point of view. Use you-focused language. Look at if you can set the flavor and make your whatever opening you select make it add to the experience. If you want your stories to be even more appealing, certainly deliver them in dialogue and remember the formula. Help people see them, make them visual, when, where, who, what happened. As you heard from my magnificent introduction, The Frick Kids, Robert and Patricia, I am one year, one. One year, one month, two days, 12 and a half hours older than my brother. My brother says I'm not surprised my sister gets paid to tell people what to do. She was a very bossy little girl. We had the reputation of being the best behaved children in Wiggle. He grew up to be a famous guitarist. I grew up to be a hairstylist and have the honor of being one of your speakers. And, as you heard, I used to be a hairstylist. That was my yellow page ad at the time when the way you got business was to have the most appealing yellow page ad, because that was long before the internet. And I started my speaking career by training hairstylists for a hair product company. And I was explaining to my brother one day that when I taught people to cut hair, they'd have to cut the guide, make the framework, do the lining and the edging, and then add the magic. And it didn't matter how seasoned and experienced they were. You have to prove to me you can cut the head of hair exactly the way the framework that I teach you. And then I said, once they prove they can do it, they can do anything they like. And he said, well, of course, sister because you always have to master technique in order to abandon it. Hmm. So if you ever hear someone say, oh, that speaker's great and he breaks all the rules. No, 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 you don't understand. There aren't so much rules for speaking as principles, age old principles that have always been there and always will be there. And what your speaker, who you think is breaking breaking the rules, is doing is understanding the principles and making different theatrical choices than you think is normal or CAPS approved. And I would also explain to my brother that how I teach people to structure a presentation is exactly the same as how I used to teach people to come in. And how often we look at movies as principles because a screenplay diagram is exactly the same as the Fritz diagram on its side. And how did you realize that every rock band opens with their second best song and their uncle closes with their best song? And brother said, well of course. Sister, the principles in any one field of endeavour are exactly the same as the principles in any other field of endeavour. So when you go to a movie or a Las Vegas show or a rock concert, you write that off because you are learning the principles in a different venue that can apply My brother and I frequently deliver presentations together when he's not on the road. His group, King Crimson, just performed their last concert of this tour last night in Paris. And the presentations we deliver one of our favorites and most popular is How to Be a Hero for More Than One Day, based on the story of a call that David Bowie called from Berlin and said, Frit, can you come to Berlin and play some hairy rock and roll music, which ended up to be, of course, *Heroes*. And before my walk away line, if my brother Robert were here, this is how he would conclude our presentation. In strange and uncertain times, such as those that we live in, any reasonable person might despair. However, hope is unreasonable, and love is even greater than that. Let us trust the inexpressible benevolence of the creative impulse. And his sister would add, never overlook the power of well-chosen words delivered by well-intentioned speakers who act as one. Mm.
0: You are now listening to With Wayel, The Ultimate Show. The coverage of the Caps 2016 convention in Edmonton will resume after these messages. You are now listening to With Wayel, The Ultimate Show. listening to this awesome awesome even does not cut the description Uh, Patricia Freb there is nothing I can comment on every single time she speaks she is really 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 providing information looking forward to share with you the other podcast we have for you it's a a continuation of coverage for 2016 CAPS convention in Thank you for listening to With YL, The Ultimate Show.